Hi everyone, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Monday, December 12th. Amanda Borshel-Dan here with our editor David Horowitz and our health reporter Nathan Jeff A. Hello to you both. Hi Amanda. Hi David. Hi Amanda. We have a lot to cover. Nathan will bring us a world-first innovation and a firm warning against a potential triple-demic. David will tell us why we've decided to hold a live stream Times of Israel event on the override clause this Thursday, and we'll talk about three pieces of legislation on the Knesset slate today. But first, a short break. And we're back. David, let's start with you. This Thursday, you'll be hosting our first Times of Israel live-streamed event, which we're calling Israel's Judiciary, Reform or Ruin. What's on the program? Uh, Hey, Amanda. So the process of legislation, uh, as we'll come to in a minute, in the new Knesset is uh, is starting today, and um, not among the initial topics, but planned um, and supported by all the parties in the anticipated incoming coalition is legislation to restrain or constrain or, or limit the capacity of the top court, the High, the high Court of Justice, uh, to intervene in legislation and decisions. And um, but they're, they're planning to do so by something that's been called an override clause. And uh, unlike several bills that are already now beginning to make their way through the Knesset, they haven't submitted Uh, a coalition bill yet or any other private member's bill. So we don't know for certain what kind of limitations um, they seek to impose on our top justices. From the texts that have emerged, it would appear to be um, draconian and to radically constrain the justices, but it's not clear uh, until it's um, initiated that that will be indeed the text. And our event this week is to speak to experts across the spectrum on this issue. In other words, experts who believe that this reform is long overdue, that the judiciary has overimposed itself. Uh, remember, this is a selected rather than elected top court, of course, uh, not the people's court, but a court uh, chosen by committee in which politicians have not been the majority. That's something else the coalition, the intended coalition is threatening to change. And then there are people who feel that the uh, uh, measures that the coalition has in mind are radical, revolutionary, you know, destructive to Israeli democracy, that basically in a country that doesn't have a constitution like ours, doesn't have a Bill of Rights, uh, and where a, a, a like-minded majority coalition uh, can get any laws it wants through the Knesset, the only remaining safeguard for individual rights uh, is the um, High Court, and therefore uh, legislation that prevents the High Court from protecting minority rights from the majority um, is uh, tremendously damaging to Israeli democracy. Now, there are very smart people all across that argument, And the goal of our uh, event on Thursday is to hear those arguments and enable people to um, make their own minds up, understand the issues and so on. I have to admit that I'm more looking forward to the second session in which we'll have three lawyers come in and talk about how their various civil rights organizations have utilized the courts in very specific cases. So I look forward to that as well. Now, David, Preliminary voting is expected to begin today on three bills that are, as you said, key to the makeup of the next government. Also, Likud MK Yariv Levine is expected to become the new speaker of the Knesset at about 4 p.m. today. So what are these bills? Tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, so first of all, let's just clarify this slightly strange circumstance where the Speaker of the Knesset is about to be changed for probably a temporary uh, appointee, Yuri Levine, who is very close to Netanyahu from the incoming coalition, but the coalition is not in yet. Why is the coalition not swearing itself in? 
uh, because in order to do so, uh, it needs to change some laws in order to honor the agreements that Netanyahu and his uh, negotiators, including Yuri Levine, by the way, uh, have made with their allies. The, the Netanyahu-led bloc won 64 seats, as we all know, on November the 1st. But the, the, the allied parties from the far right and the uh, ultra-Orthodox um, world uh, had demands. Uh, including for responsibilities, and uh, and they also have certain issues. So uh, these three changes of legislation, quite fundamental changes of legislation, need to become law before the coalition and its various elements can take power with the uh, demands or, or needs that it uh, was negotiating over being satisfied. So the the three issues are, for example, or I'll just go, I'll just go one at a time. Um, Arya Derry is set to return as interior minister. Arya Derry is the leader of the Shas party. Um, he's twice been convicted of criminal offences, the, the, the more recent one being for tax-related offensive in which he took a plea bargain and as part of which he was uh, uh, accepted and had imposed upon him a, a suspended jail sentence. Now, Israeli law, in some interpretations, um, and it, it, it would appear likely that this would be the uh, interpretation that the courts would uh, uh, deem relevant, um, appears to bar people from serving as ministers if they are in the midst of a, of if they've been handed a, a jail term. The question is whether a suspended term counts in the same way as a custodial term does. And legislation that is starting its way today would specify that no, it's only if you're in jail uh, that you can't serve as a minister. If you had a suspended sentence, you can, and that would clear the way for Arya Derry to return as interior minister. Uh, a second of the three relevant laws here applies to Bezalel Smotrich and his party religious Zionism. Uh, in his negotiations with Netanyahu, Smotrich secured the post of uh, finance minister, he'll run the treasury, but also for his party and probably uh, he, he himself, a post of minister in the defense ministry. Not the defense minister, but a second minister in the ministry with some rights and responsibilities that are his own as opposed to those of the defense minister. This requires, you know, reorganizing some of the logistics within the defense ministry. And also he's being awarded rights that uh, uh, hitherto, in some cases, were the province of the army itself. So again, legislation needed there to change the relevant regulations and laws that will enable Smotrich to attain and fulfill the rights and responsibilities that he negotiated. And then finally, in a kind of similar vein, you have uh, the impending appointment of another far-right party leader, Itamar Bengvir, who is to be our police minister uh, in a renamed national security minister. But here too, additional rights not hitherto in the hands of the minister of what used to be called public security, including oversight responsibility for border police units in the West Bank, and therefore legislation needed uh, to enable him to take up that responsibility. Now, that there are other leg there's other legislation that we will see unfolding, including, for example, regarding Ben Gvir and further rights that he is seeking uh, in terms of his control over the police. But these three pieces of legislation that I've mentioned, they're starting their process today. And what I suspect we will see is them potentially becoming law fairly rapidly. Again, because although this new coalition has not taken office yet, it holds 64 seats in the Knesset. And once its own speaker is running the legislative process and it has control of the, rel of the relevant committees, uh, legislation that is backed universally across the coalition should, should move through very quickly with uh, um, a, a clear majority. In stark contrast, to all the um, nightmares that the outgoing coalition had in trying to get legislation passed. It had the narrowest of majorities, sometimes no majority at all, 
uh, fell apart, of course, fairly rapidly and didn't legislate a lot of what it wanted to because it was not unified on many pieces of legislation that some of its members supported. Okay, David, thanks for all that clarification. And of course, stay tuned on the website to hear what actually happens today. Now, yesterday, it was announced that a Libyan man suspected in the 1988 bombing of a passenger jet was taken into U.S. custody. This is, of course, the Lockerbie bombing, which you've written quite a lot about, and the fight to see justice done. So the suspect is called Abu Aguila Masoud Khair al-Marimi, please forgive my pronunciation, but was this name known to you in all the years that you've been writing about this case? Uh, first of all, I became you know familiar with this case because I was in London working as a journalist when Pan Am Flight 103 was, was blown up over Lockerbie in December 1988. Uh, it, was, it had left Heathrow and was heading to the States. Uh, we only know a great deal of what we know about it because of certain unfolding events in the incident, including that the flight was delayed in taking off, which meant that the uh, planners of the bombing had anticipated that the plane would be over the Atlantic and it would never be possible to work out what had happened. But instead, it uh, crashed to earth over Lockerbie in Scotland. 270 people were killed. Uh, It's the worst act of terrorism ever uh, over British territory. It's It's a major outrage. And the initial belief, um, and they believed they had evidence to prove it uh, in, in, among British investigators, was that, was that this was an act perpetrated by uh, Iran with the involvement of a Palestinian terror group. And it was revenge for, among other things, the downing of an Iranian civilian plane in error uh, by the United States. And at some point, the, 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 the narrative changed and it became alleged that uh, Libya was behind the bombing. And in fact, two Libyan suspects were charged um, I think a, a, a reasonable uh, assertion would be that it seemed pretty clear that it, it was either both of them or neither of them, that they were allegedly in this together. And yet very controversially and curiously, one of the two was convicted and the other was uh, was acquitted. Um, the, the, the Libyan who was convicted was um, relatively recently freed on um, uh, humane grounds because he was believed to be dying. He did eventually die, although not as quickly as the Libyans had said he was going to die. Uh, and now, as you rightly say, the alleged bomb maker, the Libyan bomb maker, has been arrested. This is a name that has been around. Uh, I hadn't been familiar with it way back when, but in recent years, it is a name that had been uh, um, cited. Uh, you know, th- uh, th- th- there is now a kind of full narrative that ostensibly explains Lockerbie as a Libyan action. Um, there have been Libyan semi-acknowledgements of responsibility, Um uh, which uh, enabled Libya at some stages of this uh, incredibly long uh, um, affair to regain some international credibility and and uh, and uh, rights that it needed. Uh, and there are people who are very skeptical about uh, um, the uh, uh, asserted Libyan responsibility. And I think the people who are in charge of this investigation remain uh, uh, engaged in this investigation and now have announced that they have this core suspect uh, in in custody uh, are obviously adamant that they've got this right and uh, that they will be able to prove, uh, as they were in one of the two cases where they had suspects, that these are the people responsible. It will be very interesting to see how this plays out. And it will play out against a... You know, I, I want to be very careful, a somewhat skeptical um, international audience. You know, there are people who are pretty expert, who are pretty skeptical. And there are, and there are people who are pretty expert, who, who do believe that the, this Libyan narrative, as opposed to the Iranian narrative, is the accurate one. 
Uh, I'll just say that there, you know, there are very strong factors that uh, bolster the, the 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 Libyan narrative, and there are some pretty powerful uh, factors that give ostensible credibility, at least, to uh, uh, to concerns that uh, maybe there was an Iranian role here. Um, some of the the elements um, that pointed to a, an Iranian role were very very credible uh, in the initial aftermath of the of the of the horrible uh, crime that uh, that played out over Lockerbie. Um, and uh, and therefore, the, there's this skepticism, even though, uh, as, we, as we're seeing now, there would appear to be, you know, another core element of the uh, prosecution case against Libya uh, coming into play. And we're going to hear a, a lot more about this this alleged bomb maker and the evidence that uh, that points to him as the man who uh, produced the bomb that brought down um, Flight 103 over Lockerbie. David, thank you so much. We'll get to a short break now. And we're back. Nathan, COVID is on the rise again here in Israel, but so are two other viruses, the respiratory syncytial virus, correct me how to pronounce that, or RSV more commonly, and of course, the flu. Everyone I know is coughing and feeling somewhat lousy. So what did Sheba Medical Center pediatrician Professor Moshe Ashkenazi have to say to you about this triple-demic Oh, well, nobody I know is coughing, so maybe these people shouldn't be hanging out with you, Amanda. <laughs> <That's> so true. <laughs> <laughs> but what what we're finding is that we're not battling one virus or two, but rather three. Somebody, some people are calling it triple demic, and so we're familiar with COVID. We're familiar with the flu. We're less familiar by name with RSV because it's one of these viruses that we've encountered a lot in the past but not really paid much attention to. It's the kind of virus where people go to their doctor, the doctor says, you know, your child's sick, keep them at home, that kind of thing. But what we're seeing is that hospitalizations as a result of this virus are significantly increasing at the moment. Um, So in the same way as COVID and flu is generally relatively gentle but can strike hard at at at-risk people or some young children or some elderly the same with this virus rsv which kind of became very quiet during the pandemic when people were wearing masks and all that kind of thing but it's coming back with a bit of a vengeance now um and that's cause for concern because we're seeing quite a lot of cases um last week um it was reported that rsv cases in hospitals had jumped by 31 percent in a week um so 696 people hospitalized since the beginning of october so you know it's not alarming it's not the need for panic but it does emphasize that there's three viruses that can potentially make this winter quite difficult. Now, two of them have quite common uh, vaccines. The coronavirus, as we know, has a widespread vaccine, as does the flu. But RSV, I understand, is a lot more difficult to obtain and a lot more expensive. Tell us about that. There isn't a vaccine in the same way. What we do have is a five-shot course of antibody vaccines but it costs for one course of treatment $20,000 to $30,000. So it's reserved for the highly at-risk 
and is not widely given on what doctors are saying and uh, I interviewed uh, Dr. Ashkenazi from uh, Shiba Medical Center what they're saying is look you know you know this is basic logic you know there's one virus for which there isn't a widespread vaccine there's two for which there are the best way of protecting ourselves protecting the healthcare system and that kind of thing is taking the vaccines that are easily available and that basically means that all of the pressure is reduced if we're protecting ourselves in ways that we can. Now, finally, let's talk about a world first, which is always exciting. And in this case, Israeli scientists have derived male and female stem cells from the same person. So, so far, they've turned the stem cells into nervous system cells, but it sounds like really the sky is the limit. What What is so significant about harvesting two almost identical cells aside from the gender? Yes. Yeah, so just to explain the way that this was done was that there is a certain syndrome which means, which affects the chromosomes uh, in somebody's body. So while males usually have one X and one Y, um, and females generally have 2X. There's a particular syndrome that causes men to have 2X chromosomes and one Y chromosome, okay? So what happened here was that researchers went to a cell bank, they got cells from somebody who has, th has this syndrome, and what they were able to derive from this was stem cells. They were able to derive stem cells from this person's cells and parallel cells, male cells and female cells from the same person with the exact same genetic composition. And what's so interesting about that is that this kind of rising awareness that males and females respond differently to different medicines, different drugs. But how do you actually test that? How do you assess how a drug is going to respond to cells in a male body compared to cells in a female body when there's other factors that are going to be changing when you change the study? In general, you don't get the identical cells. So what this raises is the possibility of having cells, having stem cells, on which you can test drugs, male response, female response with the exact same genetic composition. That is so fascinating. Obviously, we're talking about on the cellular level, but it does open up a whole new field of testing, correct? Potentially, this opens up a whole new way of testing and assessing drugs. It's very theoretical for now, but it does open up, obviously, you know, a whole realm of ways of doing things, obviously, within all of the expected ethical and medical uh, kind of parameters. So fascinating. Nathan, thank you for bringing these really unique stories and uh, have a great day. Same to you, Amanda. Bye, David. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.